Human beings, I think, by nature are explorers. I think that is a part of us. We have an undying curiosity to look beyond the ridge, so to speak, and see what's out there. As far as space, I believe that exists as well. And there is an interesting podcast, The Cosmic Companion, that looks at space news, stories, and original interviews. And it makes the complex easy to understand for everyone. And we will have the host and creator, James Maynard, on this episode of Sci-Fi Talk in a moment. Hi, today we have James Maynard, and he is the host and really the guiding force for the Cosmic Companion. I was lucky enough to be on his podcast, and I wanted to return the favor and have him on my James, welcome. You do a great job on your podcast, and it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much, Tony. It's just fabulous talking with you anytime. Oh, really thank enjoy you. Enjoy your show. No, thank you. You just released an episode. So before we get into uh, what the podcast is about, kind of tell us a little bit about this episode. This That was such a fabulous show to do because, I mean, you know, it's cliche to say, but children are our future. And, um, and it's just so important to um, that we have kids not lose their innate sense of wonder. You know, children are born naturally born scientists, you know, and at some point, unfortunately, society beats it out of, <laughs> beats it out of most of them. The rest of us are just left, you know, with a life of science and a, and a litany of uh, bad coping mechanisms. <laughs> but we, uh, but so I'd love this show because school has to be, learning and schooling has to be a lifelong thing. Absolutely. You know, and so I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Dean Regas, who uh, is an astronomer at uh, Cincinnati Observatory, and he is great educator and, you know, does a lot of events. And he uh, he just uh, wrote a book called Thousand Facts About Space, which uh, just with uh, just came out from Nat Geo Kids. And it's just it's just that turn to any page and you know learn something cool about black holes. Turn to another page; it's about neutron stars or exoplanets, and it's just it's pretty amazing. It really feels the imagination. As people might be gathering now, your show, your podcast, is about astronomy, mm. and really, you tried to make it fun, which I really appreciate, and and really just kind of you know get the viewer in from looking at your night sky to having people. Like uh, from the Cincinnati Observatory, which is awesome. Uh, talk about the science part of it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. How did this, um, for those who might not know, how did you kind of say, hey, I'm going to do a podcast on this? <laughs> uh, let's see. I have for years, I have been writing uh, articles about general science and um, and medicine. And so, I was just writing an unbelievable output, like five articles a day. That's, it is very good. Seven. And, uh, it was, and um, so after a while, I just got the idea, you know, it's like if I can do all this research and all this, you know, study and, this, um, and produce all these articles for other people, why can't I do it for myself? And uh, so I started the Cosmic Companion about five years ago, and um, it started as a print outlet online, you know, articles, and really got to 
uh, honed my craft um, a lot on that. And um, I've always uh, focused on teaching science at a general level to, to reach reluctant learners. And um, so what I try to do is, you know, make make the science more enjoyable, make make its telling something you want to do, even, you know, uh, even if you're not someone who's going to spend their lives in science. And uh, and I think that that is one of the huge barriers to education that we have is um, sometimes it can be too dry. And we, I think we need to make science more entertaining and enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Certainly, Dr. Carl Sagan, for me, made it very entertaining with Cosmos. And I was lucky enough to talk to his widow, Ann Drurian, who worked on the show as well. And uh, those podcasts are available, folks, if you want to listen to them. Yeah. It, now. Some of them are actually a few years old. Yeah. But the stuff they talk about is... Uh, I had Dr. Tyson as well. This was uh, at when they were at New York Comic Con for the series. And I actually talked to Brandon Braga this summer with his with his show about uh, Bill Nye about weather, which was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually talked to Bill for a few few minutes as well. So uh, those are all available. So, yes, I, I do science fiction, but I do have. Science creeps its way in there once in a while. You know, it really does. Yeah, oh, it has to, you know, and it's, it's yeah. so wonderful. And I think that science and science fiction just have this wonderful symbiotic relationship. Yes. With each other, you know, and, you know, you can talk all day long about um, the way science fiction has influenced science. And I have talked all day long about it, and I'm sure you have as well. Yes, I have. <laughs> but... What's really interesting, I think, is the opposite, is how science feeds science fiction. Yes. Like, I bet in the next couple of years, we are going to see an incredible rise in the number of stories having to do with AI, with generative AI, like ChatGPT and uh, Dolly and other systems like that, you know? I think it's, yeah. Speaking speaking of AI, I've actually been talking to special effects technicians recently. Yeah, uh, and uh, actually, they work. They're working on the series uh, "The Peripheral" uh, with uh, Chloe Grace Moritz, and the the, the what they, what is really changing how they do things is AI in special effects. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so it's crazy the amount of work. That is being done by AI. It's a time saver. Obviously, you have to program it, and it's you know it's not going to uh, make decisions that you don't want it to make because you're programming it to do a certain task, mm-hmm. probably faster than a human being would do it. Yeah. And you still need a human being to supervise it. So I was really amazed about that, and uh, I think that is, I think it's going to really change the film industry. It already is changing it, but I think it's going to even impact it more as the programs get more and more uh, sophisticated. On that, does AI kind of figure into astronomy these days? Oh, absolutely. And it's going to more and more like, you know, now I'm going to geek out to the, you know, 3% of people out there that do astrophotography. But there's a technique in astrophotography. It's used in uh, restorative 
photography as well called stacking. And that means, let's say I go to take a picture of a galaxy. All right. I don't take a color, a single color image of that like you would with taking a picture of your Aunt Edna. All right. Uh, <laughs> you actually take um, multiple black and white photographs. So you have, you're looking at just the red light at first. You take three or four black and white photos of that. And you take three or four black and white photos of just green, then just blue. Now, you know, it's called luminance filter. Um, but then uh, you carefully, carefully align them and stack them together, push them together into sets. So you have all the red ones aligned and pushed together, all the green ones, yada, yada. Um, and that is how you really cut out signal to noise ratio, uh, really up your signal to noise ratio. Uh, because the noise is random, yeah. the signal isn't. So mm -hmm. the so the noise seems cancels itself out uh, by doing that. And so that type of thing, stacking, is one of the most one of the biggest barriers to people getting into astrophotography. And it's also ideal for AI to overcome. Wow! So it's so, amazing. Yeah, so AI could really, really drive a new generation of astrophotographers just by taking, just by handling the stacking. What did you think about the recent picture of the black hole that was photographed? Oh, it's incredible, and you know, and these types of things are just going to keep coming. I think so too. More yeah. and more often, and it's the ooh off factor. Like when I was an undergrad, my uh, my astronomer, one of my my faculty advisor, who's also the astronomy professor there, um, said that the real goal of the Hubble Space Telescope was to measure what's called the Hubble constant, all right, the expansion rate of the universe. But it was the pretty pictures that paid the bills. Yes, it did. <laughs> it certainly <laughs> did. A lot of pretty pictures, which was yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I think you know, and I think AI is just going to give us more of a more of those pretty pictures, and hopefully raise science awareness. Um, mm -hmm. Now, when you got into podcasting, yeah. were you aware of how the process works? Or like me, I had to kind of learn something totally different. I had a radio background, but this is a whole nother animal. Right, right. No, 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 no. I actually stumbled into podcasting. I never finished the story. So I was writing articles and there was a fascinating story uh, happening at the University of Arizona. And I live near there. And so I made a lunch appointment. This was pre-COVID. made a lunch appointment to meet with the astronomers. And um, so I recorded our conversation. I figured, okay, well, I'll just use this as notes afterward for my articles article about it and then i thought you know what you know it's even easier than transcribing <laughs> a conversation to to paper or you know to words i'll tell you what's easier just putting just putting the recording up <laughs> and so you know so i had the website you know so i put the recording up for people to listen to i was like wow that was really interesting and so i did a couple of times, like a couple of audio recordings. Matter of fact, that was the first time I ever got to talk to Bill Nye. Somehow I stumbled into one of his press conferences. Nice. And electronically. And so um, so I thought, wow, that's really cool. You know what? Well, golly, if I can get Bill Nye on my 
I'm a six-month-old show. I bet you I can, you know, um, I bet you that I can turn this into something. So I started podcasting, but that was never enough for me. So I, then we hit the video age. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I thought, wow, if I'm doing this podcast, why don't I do a video of me talking about it? Okay. Hey, this is cool. Wait. This background behind me is just a still image. I know what I should do. I should put up all these images and, you know, special effects and sound effects. And it's spiraled into that. So now our sh- the, the Cosmic Companion every week is put out in video and audio format uh, at thecosmiccompanion.net. Um, and I try to do everything I can. There's all sorts of jokes, uh, you know, extra info, you know, fun little Easter eggs, you know, put in the video that you don't see on if you're listening to the podcast, you know. So I love doing it. There is more on The Cosmic Companion with James Maynard in just a moment. Let's get back to more with James Maynard talking about his podcast, The Cosmic Companion. Of course, by doing all that, that means work. (laughs) I mean, it is work. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and I have some, you know, fabulous people doing, helping me out. But wow. Oh, that's good. But wow, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. And you know what's incredibly helpful? What? AI. <laughs> I love it. All right. So, I mean, yeah, I'm totally using AI all the time in my show to, you know. Wow. You know, a woman looking like she just heard a bad joke, you know, woman with short brown hair, you know, looking like she just lo- heard a really bad joke staring up at the sky, you know. There's more there choices go. for you, you know. Just, wow. Just That's amazing. amazing. So, on an average, how long does it take to complete an episode? Mm, the show's about half an hour long, and believe it or not, I usually start the... Uh, I'm usually working on... I usually start writing the script on Monday mornings, and... I my goal is to get it out by Friday afternoon. Wow! Yeah, whole week. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean, it's not all working on just the show, but mm-hmm. goodly long portion of it. Yeah. No, I I hear you. I I, I know production really well. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I know what it's like to uh, to do that. Uh, so for we'll mention it again at the end, but. Yeah, it's available wherever you get your podcast. I mean, I know it's available on Apple and other places too, Google and anywhere, Spreaker, wherever you get your podcast. Look for the Cosmic Companion, and that's Mm -hmm. there. And they said the video version is always out at the CosmicCompanion.net or search for the Cosmic Companion on YouTube. They'll find it. So, so as far as the people that you talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you get them on the uh, podcast? I guess you have to reach out to them, or maybe you know some of them already. Yeah, uh, you know, a little from column A, a little from column B, and you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a few uh, large publishers that send guests to me on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm delighted to you know talk with a lot of people from national, a lot of authors and creators from National Geographic. Um, Scholastic Press, um, Harper and Collins, and, you know, they, they're, they're kind enough to have their people send 
send the authors and creators my way. And it's a delight talking with them. And sometimes I hear an incredible story and I just, and I just reach out to them and you know, to the, to the uh, research or whatever and say, Hey, no, I just, I just read about your story on uh, about gravitational waves and love to talk to you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite enjoyable to, and sometimes I'll have just have authors write to me randomly. Writers or publishers write to me randomly. And uh, it's, it's it's quite an honor to be able to talk with these people and to learn from them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As far as the frequency, is it a monthly basis? Or how, how can people, when should people look for new episodes? Mm. Shows come out almost every Saturday. So you can check it out. And if you go to thecosmiccompanion.com, that's uh, our newsletter, which has where we put out every episode of the show. There's free and VIP subscriptions available. Um, and so we, there's, we're pretty easy to find. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so as, as far as science, what do you think is the hottest thing? Actually, astronomy. What is the hottest thing right mm. now? Oh, I'll tell you what's the hottest thing right now is um, extraterrestrial life. You know, what's happening is we are entering an age now where for the last 50 years, 50 odd years, we've had radio telescopes setting, you know, Meta, Bea, and it's, uh, they have looked for radio signals for extraterrestrial life, you know, trying to create a sort of contact type scenario. But for most, for the vast, vast, vast majority of of history of Earth, there were no radio telescopes. <laughs> you know, microbes and trilobites and dinosaurs built relatively few t- radio telescopes, as far as I can tell. All right, and um, so for the first time ever, uh, sci- astronomers are at a point where we will be able to find life on primitive life on other worlds. That's done because if you can, if you look at a planet passing in front of its star, some of the light from the star goes through the atmosphere of the planet, assuming it has one. And you can take that light and break it up into a spectrum of colors. And there are little black lines, distinctive little black lines showing which chemicals are in that atmosphere. So even if a planet only has, you know, something like cyanobacteria or blue-green algae on it, all right, even if it's the most primitive sort of life, astronomers will still be able to see, whoa, there are some trace gases in here that shouldn't be there. Ah. Way, way too much oxygen, or there's way too much methane. Um, and these can be chemical, telltale chemical markers of life. Wow, that's interesting. One thing I've always wondered, and, and it's kind of confusing for me, yeah. uh, is the stars that we see at night. Yeah. Are they mostly... Jet, you know, the, re, the essentially the light is just reaching us from a dead star, or are there also stars that are still very much alive? Most of them are, are still very much alive. 
if you go out into the darkest skies you can imagine, all right, and you look up uh, at the night sky, you will, if you're lucky, see about 5,000 stars. All right, to put that in, in, so, and most of those are within eh, 300 light years or so, 1,000 light years of us, so they're relatively close. All right, that is only, a, and so the light from those stars has for the most part taken hundreds of you know years or up to centuries to reach us. But if you were to look at stars, let's say in a distant galaxy, you know, some of those stars you're looking at can be hundreds of millions or billions of years old. And that, and that's, on on the edge of the lifetime of a star. So many of those stars are gone that you see that you could see through a telescope uh, just because of the vast distance. But and what's really cool is that there are stars there that now that you're not seeing because the light from there hasn't reached us yet. Wow, yeah. I guess. Think about that. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. But most of the stars you see with the naked eye are close enough where they're pretty much all there. Well, just want to let people know about some of uh, this. This one episode just released this month. Yeah. The future of exploration in the metaverse. That sounds yeah. really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Who was it that I had for a guest on that show? Um. <laughs> uh, let's see. That was... Ooh, ooh. You. <laughs> oh, that was me. Yes, that was me. That was me. On it, I didn't. I just saw that it was me. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was it. Really interesting. Um, yeah. And also your two-part series on exploring the winter sky, which, for the most yeah. of us, we're in the middle of winter here. So right, uh, right. you know, it's a different sky than we would see in the summer. Yeah. And yeah. on it, and I know you've had. Uh, you know, scientists, and I think you had an astronomer on there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And next week's show, uh, as we record this, um, is going to be about, is going to discuss uh, the human future on the, our human future on the moon. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. I'm very and, curious uh, about that. Yeah. So that show explores um, this, how, how the Apollo program was our first steps yes. towards becoming an interplanetary species. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Artemis, the Artemis program happening now is going to set us, it's going to hopefully set us up as a permanent interplanetary species. Wow. Uh, I'm very thrilled to see the spacecraft go to the moon and come back without really any major problems at all and splash down and everything. I mean, they're still examining data. Maybe there's a few things to tweak, but it looks like it's going to be a full go to establish a presence again on, on the moon, which would be a great stepping stone towards Mars too. So to take off from there without an atmosphere Mm -hmm. would save you a lot of fuel uh, that we would have to burn here on Earth to get somebody into space. So um, I look forward to the days when we have a moon base again, right, if we right. ever well, never had one. But. 
at least not in in science, but in fiction. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what, what what was Riker's line from First Contact? Oh, it's we have Armstrong City up there in my day, hundred and fifty thousand yeah. people or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, that's where Lake Armstrong is. Uh, <laughs> right about there. I mean, that's pretty cool. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah, and you hit on something really important here, which is the fact that it's a lot easier to lift off of the moon than it is the Earth. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's the name of the game in rocketry is what's called the rocket equation. And it has to do with how much thrust you need and you can get out of certain rocket systems. The vast, vast, vast majority of a rocket and its fuel and its mass and its cost is the fuel. Yeah. You know, if you look at imagine a Saturn V, that whole big, huge first stage was basically a thermos with five big engines under it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and if the trick with the problem with leaving Earth is not only do we have a greater gravity than the moon, but you have to get through the atmosphere and you have to start moving seven miles a second uh, to get past that atmosphere. And if you don't have to deal with that, lifting off, to space becomes a heck of a lot easier. Yep, yep. And you know, and so yeah. a, a permanent lunar base, even in even a base in low Earth orbit, but especially a permanent lunar base, is a huge will be a huge stepping stone to reaching for the stars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be cool. Looking forward to uh, that episode and the future ones as. What you talk about becomes reality, too, which is going to be great. So mm. the podcast, again, is The Cosmic Companion, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Apple's always a good place to start. And there's also the thecosmiccompanion.com for, for the newsletter and actually cosmiccompanion.net for the, for the podcast episode. You can listen to them on there as well. But I, I recommend subscribing as I do with mine, because this way, when a new episode is available, you'll know about it. So thank you, James, for being on the podcast and uh, and returning the favor <laughs> and, uh, and and just really some fascinating stuff uh, you're doing. So uh, Godspeed, as they would say in the space program. Thanks so much, Tony. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Visit thecosmiccompanion.net and also subscribe to their newsletter while you're there. As far as the podcast, you can get it wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts is a good way to go. Now, my episode, which I forgot during the course of the, of the interview, is also available in video form there. And he's added some really cool effects and things. So I think you'll enjoy it. This is Tony Tolado. Until next time.